I want you to turn to the book of Luke tonight. And um, something that I started feeling sometime this afternoon, I actually came to the office earlier today than usual. Just wanted to make sure I had direction for this night, for this service. And, um, you know, this is what I'm going to talk to you about tonight is not a new subject, it's not a new topic, it's, it's not anything that I haven't addressed and dealt with before, but I just feel it tonight, and uh, I feel like somebody needs it tonight. In fact, I'll tell you that it's not even a matter of feeling, I, I know that we all need it. Sometimes the thing that we know the most is what we really need to be reminded of. Praise God. In fact, it is human nature, it is human nature that if we don't hear something frequently, we reach a point where either we think it no longer applies or we just simply forget it. Uh, you know, it, it's, and I know you're standing, but it, it's, it still is an amazing thing to me the statement that is found in the book of Judges where there arose a generation in Israel that knew not the Lord, neither the works that he had done for them. That, that boggles my mind. A whole generation came up that did not know anything about God. Nothing. Now, now, how does that happen? How is that possible? We're not talking about a handful of rebels. There was an entire generation that knew nothing about God, about what God had done. That boggles my mind. What it says to me is, the generation before them quit talking about it. That's what had to happen. The generation before them had to have just stopped discussing it. And probably it took a few generations to actually reach that point. There was probably a generation before that generation that only talked about it at bare minimum. They only discussed it once in a while. It had to be a gradual thing. It could not have been that you've got one generation that totally loves God, is doing everything God wants, and the very next generation doesn't even know about God. I mean, we can understand, all right, they didn't know God, but to not even know about Him to not know anything about what he did. And that's not that generation's fault. You understand that. That's, it wasn't their fault that they didn't know about the works that God had done. That was the fault of the preceding generation. If they had talked about it, 
then this generation would have at least known what God had done. They may not have known God. They may not have had a relationship with him, but they would have at least known about him. You follow me? And so this is why, church, we should never get weary hearing the same thing. Because it's in hearing the same thing that our minds are refreshed, that things are uh, that brought to our memory that perhaps have gotten a little foggy to us. I know you stand, and I didn't intend to get into any of this. This is not even where I'm going tonight, but it's what I'm feeling at the moment. You know, somebody made the comment that this next presidential election will be the first election um, where we actually have people voting who are too young to really remember 9-11 as it was. That's right. If they turn 18 next year... Um, then at this point, it's been it's been 14 years. It'll be 15 years if they turn 18 in time to vote. Then then they were three years old when it happened. And and that's got to impact the way people look at things and think about things. Just as previous wars before us had an impact. You talk to older generations, and many times they will. They will give you a timeline. Well, this was after the war. This was after uh, Korea. This was after World War II. This was, and, and that's their timeline. But we don't know about it. We weren't there. We didn't, we didn't, most of us didn't live through that time period. And, and we don't have that frame of mind. And, um, so I, I don't I don't want it to ever be said that there's a generation that grows up that does not know some of these very important principles. I'm not I'm not going to be talking about doctrine tonight, though that applies as well. But just some of the basic principles of living for God. Sometimes we assume that everybody knows and everybody, but. Once in a while, it does us good as established saints to go back and hear it again. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So, I'm going to do what I can tonight to try to just freshen your memory about some things. And uh, So, Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. Obviously, Jesus is speaking to the Apostle Peter. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. When you're converted, strengthen brothers. Praise God. Amen. I, I, want to, I want to talk to you tonight about the key 
to continuing confidence. The key to continuing confidence. I'll explain in a few moments. But let's put our Bibles down and let's let's ask God to talk to us tonight. I really feel like the Lord wants to talk to us. I Listen to me, church. I really feel like God wants to talk to us tonight. We need to plug into where the Spirit is. We don't need to just try to receive this with a carnal mind. Carnal mind's enmity with God. The carnal mind cannot understand. We need a spiritual mind. Let's, let's pray. Let's ask God to talk to us tonight. Jesus. Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, praise God. Let's worship him together. Everybody, let's praise the Lord tonight. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. By the way, before I forget, next Thursday night, we begin revival. Brother Mark Minna from Canada is going to be with us. And uh, so I'm looking forward to revival. Praise God. Hallelujah. We'll talk more about the schedule of services. And uh, it's going to be a little unusual over the next few weeks. But um, next Thursday night, Brother Minna will be with us. And so we need to be in prayer. We need to get a flyer made up, get something done, uh, ready for us to hand out have that here by Sunday so we can distribute those. Praise God. Amen. Let, let, let's talk about the setting of scripture here tonight, Luke chapter 22. And uh, just prior to the verses that I've read as my text tonight, the Lord had, had just finished dealing with a conflict that had arisen among his followers. Let's let's listen. Luke twenty-two verses twenty-four through twenty-seven. And there was also a strife among them. It was a strife. Which imagine that. Imagine that. The people of God. There's a strife among the people of God. I mean, imagine. Can you imagine that such a thing could really happen? Um. So so look. The next time somebody says, "Well, I don't like all the drama," tell them, "Well, then you wouldn't even fit among the apostles." Maybe I need to try a Benjamin Netanyahu tonight. I don't know. I don't know how many of you heard, but he made some very strong statements to the United Nations about their silence when other countries are threatening to wipe them off the face of the earth. And to illustrate, he just stood and stared at them for 45 seconds. It's a little uncomfortable.
So I just wanted that to sink in, that you know, because I always hear this. Well, there's so much turmoil. There's so much going. There's so many. Well, there was among Jesus twelve disciples too. It's going to be anywhere there are people. Okay, if there are human beings, there's going to be strife. It doesn't justify it. It, it is simply a fact. So there arose a strife among them. Who, who is, the, is that good grammar? Who is them? Who are they? Hallelujah. Who are they? Which who, of wait, them? wait, wait, you didn't answer my question. Who are they? Who, there arose a strife among them. Among whom? The disciples. All right, there arose a strife among the disciples. Read. Which of, them Which of the disciples should be accounted the greatest? Should be considered the greatest. Why well, is a good thing to fight about? I'm better than you are. I mean, these are Jesus' hand-picked 12, all right? And this is what they're fighting about. Read. And he said unto them. And he said, that is, Jesus said unto the disciples. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Now listen to what he's saying. He's saying, listen, guys. Let's put this in common English, all right? Listen, guys. You're acting just like the world acts. Kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. And they that exercise authority. Well, this sounds like American government. They take your money, give you back a little bit, and you're supposed to thank them for it. They're benefactors. They're givers to you. You know, they Anyhow, all right, stay off of that. Let's get back on this. Read. But ye shall not be so. But you shall not be like that. Don't be like the world is. Don't be trying to put yourself over somebody else. Don't be trying to put yourself in a position where you're telling everybody else how to live their lives. Don't be like that. That's the way the world does it. But he said, if you want to be great. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief, as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth. Is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. See, this is one thing I've been dealing with in Africa. Believe it or not, there's a great deal of pride over there. A great deal of pride. Uh, even, even in their extreme Poverty, They're, they are very, very proud people. And they establish these titles among themselves. That, uh, you know, someone's a pastor. Okay, well, that's fine, but I'm a bishop, so I'm over the pastor. I'm, I'm greater than the pastor. So then someone comes along, well, I am an apostle, so I'm over the bishops. And, and then you've got those that are now prophets. And then, and then in Zimbabwe, they... Some of them have, have decided that just being a prophet's not high enough. So they're telling everyone they are major prophets. No, this is true. It's true. 
and, uh, and all of this is, is their attempt to show that they are greater than someone else. And what's happened, it is so ingrained in them. We've actually had times we got ready to baptize and, and there were bishops who said, I can't be baptized by a pastor because my position's higher than his. I dealt with this in, in, uh, in Malawi this last trip. I, I said, let me ask you guys something. Jesus was baptized by whom? John the Baptist. Now you tell me who's greater, Jesus or John? Jesus. But the greater was baptized by the lesser. Who baptized the Apostle Paul? Thank you. All right, I'm giving you a Bible quiz here. You better be on your toes. Ananias. What else did Ananias do? What other accomplishment did he have in his life? I don't know either. Nobody knows. Because the Bible doesn't record that Ananias ever did anything. And yet here was Saul, trained at the feet of Gamaliel, who was, I mean, he's like the Supreme Court Justice. That's who Gamaliel was. And Paul sat at his feet and was trained by him. Paul was highly, Saul at this time, highly recognized throughout all of Israel. And yet he goes to a man that we know nothing about, has got no record, no history, no title, and submits himself to be baptized. The greater was baptized by the lesser. And this is exactly what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples and therefore us. He said, I, he said, who's greater? You tell me who's greater. The one that's sitting at the table eating the meat or the waiter who comes in and brings the meat to him. Which one of those two is the greater? Well, it's the man sitting at meat, right? But he said, here I am, the God of the universe. And I didn't come to sit at the table. I came to serve tables. And he's trying to instill something in them. Let's forget about who's better than whom. Let's forget about all those positions. Forget about all those titles. And let's le learn to serve one another. I told those men in Malawi, I, I said, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I, you know, I've got people right now that call me bishop. By African standards, you are a bishop if you, have, if you have more than one assembly that's under your leadership. And by African standards, I'm a bishop. I have men that have referred to me as apostle. Because really, an apostle is one that's sent by God to take the gospel into a new area. That's what I'm doing. But I don't get up and claim all of these titles. I'm not trying to add titles to my name. And neither was Jesus. He came as a servant. 
And this is the way we need to look at it. Listen, I'm, I'm telling you, John F. Kennedy said it about the country, and, and uh, uh, we have gotten so far from that. But he said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. We need to get that attitude about the church. We don't need to be asking, what can the church do for me? Why isn't the church doing something for me? Why aren't the people in the church doing something for me? And we need to say, what can I do for others? Hallelujah. This is, this is the mindset that Jesus was trying to convey. Then, then we go on. We're reading on here in Luke 22. This is Bible study time. What do we do during Bible study time? You open your Bibles. That's right. So we are in Luke chapter 22. That's between chapters 21 and 23. All right? Just trying to help you out here. Luke Luke is between Mark and John. All right? I'm going to try to help you get there. Luke chapter 22. Now, we just finished with verse 27. We are moving on to verse 28. And, and after he corrects them, and, and make no mistake about it, that's what this was. Verses 26 and 27, really 20. 5, 26, and 27. He's saying that's how the world acts. The way you guys are acting is exactly the way the world acts. And you shouldn't be acting that way. You need to have a different mindset altogether. Instead of trying to put yourself over somebody, you need to try to put yourself under somebody. And learn how to serve. Now he rebukes them. He corrects them. And then what's the very next thing he does? Verse 28. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. Now, listen. I mean, he just got through rebuking them, and the very next thing he does, he compliments them. He thanks them. Do you see that? Well, there's a lot of teaching to be done here. I don't know how far I'll get through with this lesson tonight. I need to get done because next week I won't get to teach it. So I need to get done tonight if I can. But I just want, I want all of you to see something here. There was the rebuke. But at the conclusion of the rebuke, there was an immediate compliment. You have continued with me in my temptations. You know, parents, this is something you need to learn. Sometimes parents lash out at their kids in frustration. They're angry. They're upset. The child's embarrassed them, whatever. They lash out. Number one, get control of your emotions before you correct them. Well, hallelujah. Get control of your emotions before you correct them. Number two, as soon as you finish correcting them, give them a compliment. Say something nice about them. Build them up. You've torn them down, now build them up again. Well, thank you to the three people who agree with that. But this was a principle Jesus himself used. Do you see that? Does everybody see that in the scripture? Does everybody see that's what he did? He tore into them for their wrong attitude and then turned right around and picked them back up. He didn't leave them down. You have continued with me in my temptations and... And I, and I am giving you a kingdom. a kingdom. 
Boy, you talk about building them up now. I'm giving you a kingdom. Read. As my father has appointed, appointed unto me. That you may eat and so drink. So you can eat at, and drink at my table. At my, in my table kingdom. in my kingdom. And sit, and on, sit thrones, on thrones. Judging the 12 judging tribes the of Israel. Boy, you talk about giving them a promise. Now, he has just torn them down, told them everything that's wrong with them. But when he gets through, he builds them up and tells them everything that's right and what he's going to do for them. Now, I want you to notice in this that, that here in verses 29 and 30, Jesus says, I have plans for you guys. Do you see that? Does anybody see that? I have plans for you guys. I know those are not his words. He said, I've, I've appointed a kingdom for you. He said, I, I, I'm telling you now that you're going to sit on thrones in my kingdom. You're going to sit at my table in my kingdom. You're going to be given thrones in my kingdom. I'm going to let you judge the 12 tribes of Israel. He is telling them, I've got big plans for you. I've got major plans for you. Plans for victory. Right? Right? I've got plans for you that are big plans. They're major plans. They're plans of victory. But then, what happens next? Verse 31. He just expressed his plans. What does he say in verse 31? And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. And the Lord turned and looked at one disciple in particular. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Look, Jesus just finished saying, I've got plans for you. And then he turns around and says, by the way, Peter, I'm not the only one who has plans for you. I've got plans for victory. I've got plans for great things. But I want you to know, Peter, that because I've got plans for you, that puts you in the devil's crosshairs. The minute that God determines he's got great plans for somebody, that's the minute the devil says, then I'm going to take them down. Please hear me tonight, church. I want you to understand this is important to where I'm going tonight. If, if I don't get any farther, I want you to get this. That the minute God says, I've got great plans, that's the minute the devil starts arraying his forces and says, I'm going to do everything in my power to thwart those plans. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, what a terrible place to be in. Peter just learns. The devil's got plans for you too, son. He's wanting to sift you like wheat. He's wanting to take you in, in, a, in a sieve and, 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 and put you there. The, the grain was, was put in this and the chaff and the dust were, were 
thrown off. And, and, and this is what Jesus says to Peter. The devil wants to do the same thing to you. He wants to sift you. He wants to, he wants to just pull you apart in every direction. Get ready for it, Peter. It's coming. Why is it coming? Why does the devil want to destroy Peter? Because Jesus has plans for Peter. That's why. We know the rest of the story. We know what those plans involve. But the devil said, then I've got, if God's got plans for him, then I've got plans for him. Listen, church, it's always been a battle between God and the devil. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about this church. The things you are going through is about something much, much bigger than yourself. The devil wants you to believe it's all about you, but it's really not about you at all. It's about the fact that God has determined great things for you, and the devil said, I want to prove God a liar. Well, I wish somebody would help me tonight. The minute that God sets his sights upon an individual or a church that he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do great things. Just get ready. That's the minute the devil is going to step up to the plate. And he's going to swing with everything he's got. It's not about you. He could care less about you. Or to say it properly, he couldn't care less about you. It's not possible that he could care any less about you because he doesn't care about you at all. But what he does care about is this age-old war between him and God. And if God has said, this is the piece on my chessboard that I'm going to move and I'm going to use this to gain some ground, then the devil says, oh, no, you don't. And the devil starts moving his forces in place to try to block God and what God's trying to accomplish. Is anybody hearing me tonight? What a horrible place to be in. To know that the devil has singled you out. You're not the first to be there. You're not the first to be in that position. You know, that's the position Job found himself in. It's exactly the position Job. Job chapter 1 verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Now, now look, the verse says, Hast thou considered my servant Job? And, and for years I took that to mean that God was introducing Job to the devil and that God was the one bringing Job up and, and God was saying uh, to the devil that, you know, here's somebody you ought to think about. But, but, but it came to me a few years back, that's not what God's saying. Really, I think it would be clearer to say, that, that God looks at the devil and says, oh, so you've been considering Job, have you? 
Have you considered Job? God is reading the devil's thoughts. Not declaring to the devil what he ought to think about, but declaring to the devil what he has been thinking about. Oh, so you've been thinking about Job, have you? There's none like him in the earth. He's a perfect and upright man. He fears God and he hates evil. You've been, you've been realizing that, haven't you, devil? You've been think, that's been, that has been a burr in your saddle, hadn't it, devil? You can't stand the fact that Job won't bow to the ways of this world. You can't stand the fact that Job loves me with everything he's got. That just drives you crazy, doesn't it, devil? Well, hallelujah. And of course, the devil came back with his own retort. And they, you know the story. They went back and forth. devil already knew what he wanted to do. He already knew. He didn't have to sit there and think about it. He knew what he wanted to do to Job, but he knew he didn't have permission to do it until God granted it. But I'm just telling you, Job, this was not about Job. This was about God and the devil. And God is here bragging on Job. And so the devil wants to prove God wrong. I'm telling you, in a lot of ways, the devil's an idiot. You're not going to prove God wrong. However, the devil has been successful in taking some individuals. When God had high plans and high hopes, the devil is sometimes successful. He doesn't prove God wrong, though he thinks that's what's happening. But I'm telling you, he is successful sometimes in getting people to reach a place that they don't see in themselves what God sees in them. Look, there were a lot of things Job said about himself. There were a lot of times that Job really got dangerously close to, to being a little bit too arrogant. But there was never a time that Job said, about Job, what God said about Job. Job never claimed he was perfect. But God did. God saw more in Job than what Job saw. I hope you're hearing me tonight. God saw greater potential in Job than what Job was able to see. And I'm telling you, the only reason that the devil was able to do to Job what he did is because God had confidence that Job could handle it. No, no, no. Some of you are not getting this tonight. This is, this is just going right over your head tonight. You need to understand. You need to understand. Rather than saying, God, why me? Why me? Why me? How come I have to go through this? Why do I have to endure this? Instead of saying that, you need to say, God, you must think pretty highly of me to believe that I can handle this. 
You must have more faith in me than what I've got, God. I don't think I can handle it, but you must or you wouldn't let it come my way. How many of you know that God is the one who said through his, his inspired apostle that he would not put more on us than what we are able to bear? That means before it ever comes your way, God has measured you and he's measured the test. And if you're going through the test, God said you're up to it. God said you're strong enough to handle it. I know, I've heard people say, I can't take this. I can't take this. But God said, yes, you can or he wouldn't have given it to you. You've got to understand, you've got to get a revelation of the fact that God only lets you experience what you can handle. Hallelujah. Now, look, God had great plans for Job, and the devil knew that. And so the devil set his sights on him. That's just the way that the devil works. When, when God, when God heard the cry of Israel and said they need a deliverer, what was the first thing the devil tried to do? Yeah, that's right. The devil wanted to kill that deliverer in his infancy. Exodus 1.22. I've got to hurry. Exodus 1.22. And Pharaoh charged all his people. Charged all his people saying, Every son, every that, is born, son that is born, you shall cast, into, cast the river, into the river. And every daughter you shall save alive. Every son. Every, why did the devil move on Pharaoh to say every son? Because the devil knew that God was about to raise up a deliverer. The devil knew that God had somebody in his sights. And the devil said, I got to stop this now. I got to stop it before it happens. When God looked down upon the earth and said it's time, the earth needs a deliverer. What did the devil do? Matthew chapter 2 verse 16. Then Herod. Herod. When he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, uh -huh. was exceeding wrath. He was mad. And sent forth. And, and he sent forth. And slew all and the slew all the children in, in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Why is he killing the babies? Why? Why is the devil stirring up the heart of Herod to kill the babies? Because one of those babies was earth's deliverer. The Spirit of God had great plans for one of those babies. Hallelujah. And because God had great plans, then the devil decided he had to have some plans too. I hope I'm preaching to somebody tonight. I'm going to tell you, if you think all these promises we've had about revival, thank God for them. But if you think we're just going to coast from here until revival comes, you better think again, honey. Because the moment a man of God stands behind this pulpit with the anointing of God on him and says God has declared revival, then all of hell starts trying to figure out how they can stop it from happening. And the devil doesn't care who the casualties are. He doesn't care who he destroys in the process. He doesn't care who he takes down while he's trying to do it. 
Oh, hallelujah. He's just got one goal. I got to stop what God is trying to do. Now, it didn't work with Moses, and it didn't work with Jesus. And if we'll get a hold of what I'm about to talk to you about in just a few minutes, I still haven't even got to the meat of my message. But if we'll get a hold of what I'm about to talk to you about, it's not going to work with us either. Well, hallelujah. I wish I'd have gotten a better response on that statement. I'm telling you, the devil doesn't have to be victorious. The devil doesn't have to win. In fact, the only way he will win is if we quit. We got to give in to him before he can win. He doesn't have the power to win. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The devil cannot win unless we quit. Hallelujah. Now, Jesus said, I got great plans for you, Simon. And you got a throne waiting on you. You've got a position as a judge over one of the tribes of Israel waiting on you. I got I got big plans for you, Peter. But I want you to know something. I'm not the only one who has plans. The devil has plans for you too. And I'm telling you what his plans are. He's going to sift you like wheat. The devil plans to put you through it. The devil plans to shake you until you feel like you can't be shaken anymore. He's going to shake you till your head's rattling, your teeth are chattering, your knees are knocking. He's going to shake you. Understand it's coming. But, but he says to Simon, I got a, I got a plan to thwart the devil's plan. I've got a way we're going to keep this from happening. Let's, let's, we were in Luke 22. Are you still in Luke 22? Verse 31, Simon, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Then verse 32, he says this. But I have prayed for thee. Prayed for thee that thy faith that fail thy not. faith fail not. Now you see that word faith? See, we, we've, we've misconstrued what that word really means. We, we think that word means believing God for a miracle. But that's not what faith means. Faith is confidence or trust in God. And, and this is what Jesus said. Simon, 
The devil's going to start sifting you. The devil really wants to sift you. But here's what needs to happen. Your faith or your confidence must not fail. No matter how much shaking you go through, don't let it shake your faith. Don't let it shake your confidence that God is still in control. That God is still watching over you. That God is going to step in at the right moment and take care of this problem. Simon, the only way you're going to endure this is if your faith doesn't fail. It's at the moment that a person's faith fails, that they lose their confidence that God is in control. That's when the devil gets the upper hand. Hear me, saying of God. Hear me. This, for many of you, this is not about whether he can get you to smoke or cuss or drink or commit adultery. No, but I tell you what he wants to do. He just wants you to get to the place that you start questioning whether God is still watching over you and whether God is still protecting you and whether God is going to keep his promises. Because if you start questioning God, then you'll start doubting God. And when you start doubting God, then you got to find something you can trust in. And you'll start putting your trust in your own ability. And the moment you think you can fix it is the moment you're going to fall. Ask Abraham. Ask Abraham how much trouble he caused, not only in his own household, but for thousands of years, yea, even to this very day. Because he tried to fix the problem himself. I'm preaching to some folks here tonight. In fact, I'm preaching to everyone that's here tonight. We need to understand the thing that Jesus said to Peter. Don't let your faith fail. Your faith can't fail you. You've got to be able to keep your confidence. Do you remember my title? Probably not. Somebody said yes. Yes. You knew confidence was in there somewhere. All right, well, that's, that's good. At least there's one word of the title. I'm talking about the key to continuing confidence. This is the thing that Jesus said, Peter, if this is going to work, if my plans for you are going to be fulfilled, if the devil's plans for you are going to be thwarted, the key to this, you've got to keep your confidence you got to keep your confidence in God. You've got to keep believing that God is in control. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how rough it gets, no matter how bad it gets, you got to keep believing God's in control. Your faith, your faith. That is your confidence. Listen, Ephesians 6 and 16, what does it say? Above all. Wait, 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 what does it say? Above all. 
What? Now he's just given us this elaborate suit of armor. But then he says above everything else. The most important piece of this armor. Above all. Do what? Get that shield of confidence in God. Wherewith you'll be able to quench everything the devil throws at you. When you've got that confidence. Devil, I know it's bad. I don't understand. I can't even see which way is up. But this much I know. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I know God is still in control of every aspect and every area of my life. This is how you quench the fiery darts. This is how you put out everything the devil throws at you. Above all, that shield of confidence. Confidence. Everyone say confidence. Hallelujah. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, has a roaring he's, lion. He's like a, he's like a roaring lion. He's like a roaring lion. I, I mentioned this the other day, but I just recently uh, read or heard that you can hear a male lion roar from five miles away. And I'm going to tell you, at five miles, when that roar comes out, you know I better figure out which way he is. And I'd better get the other direction. He's like a roaring lion. Walking, and he's walking, walking about, about. Seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for somebody. He's looking for somebody. That he may devour. Who's he going to be able to devour? Let's read on. Whom resist. 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 Steadfast. steadfast in the faith. In the in what? In what? How are you going to resist him? How are you going to keep this lion away from you? I'll tell you how. It's that faith. It's that confidence. You can roar all you want to roar, devil. But there is one that's in control of my life. Your roar may be loud enough and powerful enough to shake the very ground I'm standing on, but you're not big enough to scare my God. I've got confidence. I've got faith. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Hallelujah. Knowing, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in People your brethren. People in the world go through the same things we're going through. Amen. But there's a difference. There's a difference. The difference is we've got God. We have to walk through the same valleys they walk through, but we're not walking those valleys alone. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, somebody needs to understand this tonight. 
fact, all of us need. I keep saying somebody. All of us. All of us. I'm not just preaching to one person tonight. I'm preaching to everybody under the sound of my voice. We all need to get a fresh revelation. We all need to be reminded that in the darkest moments of our life, in the worst situations that we can face, there is still a God who has not and will not forget nor forsake his people. Oh, hallelujah. Don't let the devil convince you that God is out to get you or that God is out to hurt you or that God is doing something bad in your life. Everybody's got problems. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. There hath no, no temptation, temptation taken you, but such as, as is common, common unto man. It's common. It's common. Everything you experience, somebody else is going through it. Somebody else has been there. You're not the only one to ever walk this valley. Now the devil wants you to believe you are, but you're not. But furthermore... But God is faithful. God is faithful. Who will not suffer and you he to be will not permit you to be tempted above, that above you are able. what you are able. But, but he, wait a minute, but he, but he, what? He what? He might? He can? No, but he will, with the temptation, also also make make a way to escape so that you can be able to bear it. When it gets to that point, you say, I can't take anymore. Listen, when it gets to the point that you really can't take anymore, start looking for God to show up because his word says he will. He will, he will, he will make a way for you to get out of this. He will provide an escape. That's what our confidence has got to be. That God will get me out of this. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego said, look, I don't know whether God is going to spare us from the furnace, but I know he's getting me out of your hands. One way or the other, God is still in control. Whatever God allows to happen, it's still God and not you, O king, that's going to call the final shot. Devil, you don't decide the outcome. God does. As long as I keep my faith in him. As long as I keep my confidence in him. Hallelujah. Now look, we can shout about that. But I know from personal experience that it's sometimes easier to say amen than it is to live it. Hebrews chapter 3, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm trying to hurry. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, listen to this. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that build, built all things is God. 
And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house, whose are, house we, are we, if, if we hold fast we the confidence. Hold fast the confidence. And the rejoicing, and the of, rejoicing the hope, of the hope unto the firm end. unto the end. Now look, he is dealing with the Hebrews here. He's dealing with the Jews. And he knows their history. And he's saying to them, look, you look back at your forefathers. And you see what they went through. But the biggest problem they had is when they ran into a problem, they forgot about God. And they forgot that God was able. God gives them water, and the next time they get to that point, they've forgotten all about it. The next time they get to that point, they just don't think God's going to help them again. God gives them manna every day, and they start complaining. Miracle bread, every day, miracle bread. All you got to do is walk out your door and pick it up. That's it. Of course, I will point out that he didn't put it on their table. He did require something of them. He could have, right? I mean, if he's going to put it on the ground, he could have just put it in their bread baskets. But he did want them to do something. So he put it on the ground, and they complained about it. This is what he's telling Don't be like they were. You hold your confidence unto the end. Don't let go of it. Don't let go of it. Let's read on. Verse 7. Let's continue on here. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, today if, if you will hear, hear his, his voice, voice, harden not your hearts. Don't be like they were. As in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. They saw what I did. For 40 years they watched me do this, and yet they still questioned Wherefore I was grieved That's with that I was grieved with them and said, They do always err in their heart. Constantly are erring in their heart. And they have not known my ways. And do you see what he's saying? They've never really gotten a revelation of the fact that I want to take care of them. They don't know my ways. They don't understand. When they got to the Red Sea, I parted the water. When they had no water, I gave it to them out of a rock. When they had nothing to eat, I gave them miracle bread. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. That's what the Bible says. And yet, for 40 years, it never dawned on them. You know, God really wants to take care of me. They never got that revelation. They do always err in their heart and have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath. So he said, I finally got mad. I just got mad about it. They shall not enter into and my I rest. And I swore they are not going. They are not going to enter into my rest. Amen. Read. Take heed, brethren. So take heed. Lest there be any, Pay attention. any of you in Pay evil attention. heart. Pay so attention. So there's, there's not this same evil heart of an evil heart of unbelief. An evil heart of And again, if faith is confidence, then unbelief would be a lack of confidence. 
He said, don't let that. And that, isn't that what we're dealing with? Isn't that what this passage is all about? They never got to the place they really had confidence in God. They never really believed God was going to take care of them. From the time they left Egypt to the time they got to the Jordan, they never really believed God would take care of them. And God said, that's an evil heart. To not have that confidence in me is evil. So don't let that evil heart be in you. In departing from the living God, because you see, when you start doubting God, you start leaving God. You start walking away from God the minute you doubt Him. Amen. Read. But exhort one another but daily. But exhort one another. But exhort one another every day. Every day, encourage your brother. Every day, encourage your brother. Read. But exhort one another daily. This is 13. While it's While called, it today, called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Read. For we are made we partakers, are made partakers of, Christ of Christ if if we hold the beginning of our confidence. We hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast, steadfast unto the end. Unto the end. Listen, over and over and over, this is what he is saying to us. You've got to get a grip on this. You've got to get a revelation of this. You've got to get an understanding of this. God is going to take care of his people. Don't be like they were. Hold the beginning of your confidence unto the end. While it is said today... okay. We, we, I'm, I'm going to cut through some of that. I've got to hurry. My time is up, and I, I'm not, still not really where I want to go. Almost, but not quite. So, so again, again, we know what must be done. We know what has to be done. We know what the answer is. If the devil wants to sift us like wheat, we know that the way to stop him is to have confidence in God. And as I said a moment ago, it's easier to say amen to that than it is to practice it. When you're the one in the middle of that sifting, and you're the one whose world is being shaken, it's a lot easier to say amen, that's right, than it is to muster that confidence and truly trust that God's got this. So how do we do it? How do we keep that confidence? What is the key to us having a continual confidence in God? How do we do it? Well, let's go back to what Jesus said to Peter. Verse 32, this is Luke 22, verse 32. Here's what he said. But I have prayed for thee. But I have prayed for thee. That thy faith that fail thy not. That thy faith fail not. Look, this is where I've wanted to get to all night tonight. This is my point. I've heard people say, sometimes you just got to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, I want to tell you, I've been in situations in my life I couldn't even find my feet.
How can I pull myself up by my own bootstraps when I can't even find my feet? But here's what Jesus said. I've got plans for you, and the devil's got plans for you. But I'm going to tell you how my plan's going to work, and the devil's is going to fail. It's going to be because of this, Peter, because you're not in this alone, but I am praying for you. You're not praying for yourself alone, but somebody else is helping to carry this burden. Oh, hallelujah. I believe that one vastly overlooked key to, to someone keeping their confidence is the prayers of others. I don't think we understand as a church how vitally important it is that we pray for one another. I'm going to tell you, Brother Jared, I can't make it on my own prayers. Now, I need to be praying. I need to have a prayer life. I can't expect everybody else to do it and me do nothing. But I am telling you, there are some times and some trials and some valleys that I can't pray my way out of it. I need to know somebody else is going to God on my behalf. Hallelujah. Jesus said, Simon, I'm going to tell you how your faith is not going to. And we know his faith didn't fail. We know he had his rough times. We know he denied the Lord. But we also know he bounced back. He was a winner in the end. Why? Why? Because Peter wasn't just praying for himself. Yeah, he was having some times of prayer. He and John went to the, to the temple at the hour of prayer. He had regular times of prayer. But there was somebody else that was praying for Peter. Somebody else was helping to carry him through when he couldn't walk on his own. Somebody else's prayers were holding him up. This is why Paul said what he did in Galatians 6 verses 1 through 2. Give me just a few minutes. I know I'm over time. Give me just a few minutes. Would you do that, church? This is too important for me to just quit now. I've got to get this off of my heart and off of my soul tonight. Amen. Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man be overtaken, a man's in, a overtaken fault, in a fault, ye which are spiritual, ye which are spiritual restore talk about him. In the wait, wait, wait. Ye which are spiritual, talk about him. Ye which are spiritual, make fun of him. We, you which are spiritual, tell him what he's done wrong. You which are spiritual, rebuke him. What did he say? Restore such you that are one. spiritual, restore such a one. In the spirit of, in the of meekness, spirit of meekness considering, considering yourself, lest you be also be tempted. Read. Bear, ye one another's, Bear one another's burdens and so, and fulfill, so the fulfill the law of Christ. What was the law of Christ? He didn't come here bearing his own burdens. He didn't come here carrying his own load. He carried mine. He carried yours. That's why he was here. That's what he was doing. That's the law of Christ. We're so consumed with our own problems. We're so consumed with our own situations that we're not caring for our brother and our sister the way we need to. But somebody has got to get a revelation tonight. The only way my brother's going to make it is if I care for him. If I pray for him, the only way my sister's going to make it is if I will find a place and pray for her.
I'm telling you, church, we are so focused on, i got to try to make it in. i got to be saved. I hope I can make it. I'm going to try to make it by the skin of my teeth. I'm going to tell you how you can make it a whole lot better than the skin of your teeth is if you'll get in a prayer closet and start calling the names of your brothers and sisters. Get your eyes off yourself and start praying for somebody else. Rather than criticizing one another, rather than shaking our head in disappointment, rather than holding our nose up and say, well, I knew he wasn't going to make it. Well, I knew something was wrong. Why don't we carry them into the presence of the Lord? Do you remember what happened to the man that was sick of the palsy? This is Mark, uh, uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, uh-huh. and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went up upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling, which is couch with his couch into the midst now, before now, Jesus. Now look, did, did you get the picture? This man can't walk. This man cannot get to Jesus on his own. It is not possible for him to get to Jesus. He can't do it by himself. If he's going to get to Jesus, somebody's got to be his friend. Somebody's got to care about him. Somebody's got to go to great lengths. It was not an easy thing to get up on top of that building and start ripping the roof apart. But they said, we got, it wasn't that they were sick of the palsy. These men evidently were good, healthy men. They were strong men. They were capable men. They didn't have a problem. They didn't need to get to Jesus, but their friend did. Well, hallelujah. They could have just walked in. They could have pushed the crowd aside. Like the woman with the issue of blood. They had the, If it was their own need, they could have gotten to Jesus. But it wasn't their need. They weren't concerned about themselves. They had a friend. And he couldn't get to Jesus. In fact, we, we can read verses 24 and 25 is where Jesus says to him, take up your, your couch and, 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 and go to your house. Jesus heals him. But when did it happen? Verse number 20 tells us when it happened. Read verse 20. When he saw their faith. When he saw whose faith? Not his faith. Not the man that was sick of the palsy. But when he saw the faith of that man's friends, that's when Jesus said to him, your sins are forgiven. Jesus was moved, not by the faith of that man, but by the faith of those men who cared about their friend. Listen to me, church. We've got to get an understanding of this. We've got to get better at carrying one another into the presence of God, of carrying our brother and sister. If we see somebody struggling, we see somebody missing church, don't shake your head. Don't talk bad about them, but go find a place to pray. Tear off the roof. Do what you got to do, but get them into the presence of God.
devil has plans for every one of us. He's got plans for everybody here. The devil wants to destroy every individual in this building. It's right. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. There are a lot of folks here that the only way they're going to make it is if there's somebody that'll pick up their bed for them and tear the roof off for them and let them down into the presence of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's right. We look around tonight. We see folks that ought to be here and they're not here. So what do we do? How do we respond to that? For some of us, we didn't think about it until I just mentioned it. But we ought to be thinking about it. Something's wrong. Something, something's wrong. Hallelujah. I know, I know there's some that are working. I understand that. But I'm just talking about those that should be here and are not here. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. It's not right. It's not normal to just miss church. So what are we going to do? Sit back and criticize them? Well, they should have been at church. Well, they should have come to church. Do you ever think maybe they are sick of a palsy right now and that they can't even get up? Hello? So how are we going to respond to this, Brother Jared? What are we going to do about it? I tell you what we need to do. We need to go carry them into the presence of the Lord. Look, look, I, I, I've got to close. I've got to close. It worked for Peter. We know the end of the story for Peter. Jesus said, this is how we're going to make sure you keep your confidence, is I am personally going to pray for you. And it worked. I am convinced that's what kept the Apostle Paul. Now, we know Paul's testimony, the end of his life, 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 and 7. 2 Timothy 4, it should be on your notes there somewhere. 2 Timothy 4, 6 and 7. It should be down fairly close to the, no, it's not close to the end. I got a bunch more here. I didn't realize I had so much. Oh, it's there. You're just not. What, what did we just read? We just read Luke 5 and 20. What's right after Luke 5 and 20? So I didn't put it in there. All right, it's my fault. So find it. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 and 7. For I am now ready to be this offered. Is, this is Paul's testimony at the end of his life. I'm ready to be offered. Yeah. And the time of my at departure the time is at hand. Is hand. I have fought a good I've fight. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my I've course. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And I have what? Kept the faith. I have what? Paul said, I... I have kept my confidence in God. Paul is about to die. These are some of the last words he will ever pen. It's just a few hours. He's going to be walking out to the, to the chopping block. And in the closing moments of his life, he said, I want everybody to know I still got my confidence in God. Now, you understand Paul didn't have an easy life. Paul didn't live a cushioned life. Paul didn't live in some kind of a bubble, free from problems. In fact, 
Let me take just a moment and remind you of some of what he went through. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 28. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. I'm more. In labors, labors more abundant. In stripes, stripes above measure. Above measure. In prisons, more prisons, frequent. More frequent. In deaths, oft. In deaths. I've been at the point of death often. Often. Read. Of the Jews. Of the Jews five times. Five times. Received I. Received I. Forty stripes. Forty stripes. Save one. Save one. Five times. They gave me 39 lashes. Five different times. Don't you know his back was one lacerated mess? Five different times. Listen to me. I know we go through things, but I want you to put yourself in Paul's shoes for a few minutes and ask yourself, are you going through what he went through? Of the Jews five times received I 40 stripes at one. Thrice. Thrice. Was I beaten with rods. I was beaten with rods. Three times they beat me with rods. This is besides the stripes I received. Three times beaten with rods. Once, was, Once I stoned. was I stoned. And the Bible lets us know that when he was stoned, they left him for dead. They thought he was dead. That's how bad that stoning was. Read. Thrice. Three times. I suffered shipwrecks. I have been through shipwrecks. Read. A night and a day, I have been in the deep. I spent 24 hours trying to stay afloat. This is a pretty rough life. Read. In journeyings often. Jur constantly traveling. Look, I know what that does. I was just talking to Pastor Howard about it. He called me not long before church started. And, and uh, I was talking to him about how weary I am. And I haven't made near the journeys Paul made. I've made four trips to Africa in eight months. I've made ten trips in the last 27 or 28 months. But it's nothing like what Paul was doing. In journeys, often. Read. In perils of waters. I, I, had, I had to deal with floods. In perils of robbers. I had to deal with thieves. In perils by mine own countrymen. I, I had to deal with my own people, my own family, my own relatives, my own church members. Yes. Isn't that who the Jews were? They were his family, they were his relatives, they were his church members. But he said, I was in peril even among them. In perils by the heathen. And not only was my own church people attacking me, but the people outside were attacking me. Yes. And this is not a peril, but perils. More times than one. In perils, perils in the city. when I was in the city. In perils in the wilderness. I, I found myself in perils when I was out in the country. In perils at, in the sea. I, I found myself in perils when I wasn't even on land. In perils among false and, brethren. And then those that claimed to be apostolic and weren't, I had to fight with them. In weariness and, and painfulness. weariness, in 
painfulness in watching often. In other words, in laying awake at night, in having to constantly watch my back, constantly watch both sides, constantly in fear for my life, maybe not fear, but concern, watchings often. In hunger and thirst. Times when I wish I could find something to eat. Times when I just wished I could find something to drink. And fastings often. Times when I chose not to eat and drink. And cold and naked. Times that I've been cold, I've been naked. Beside those things. And besides all of this that are without, that which cometh upon me daily. I've got all of these churches that are contacting me and asking for help and asking for guidance and asking for direction. And I've got all of these churches that I've founded that are under my care. Care of all the churches. Now you want to talk about a stressful life. You want to talk about some problems, some drama? And yet, he said at the end of his life, through all of this, I've kept my faith. My confidence in God has not been shaken, though I've gone through everything I just mentioned to you. If anybody had a right to be bitter toward God, it was Paul. But he said, I still trust God. At the end of my life, and I'm looking out the window, and I see the chopping block that in just a few moments' time is going to sever my head from my shoulders, but I still trust God. How did he get that kind of confidence? How did he get that kind of faith? That at the end of his life, looking at being put to death, he could still say, I've got confidence. How did he get that? Did he just drum it up? Was he superhuman? Did he have a halo over his head like they try to paint him? No, I want to tell you how he got it. Let's go back to the early days of his ministry. Let's go to, let's go, uh, I skipped over 2 Timothy where he talks about, um, he said, everybody in Asia is turned away from me right now. I've got everybody against me right now. That's another story. But, but Romans chapter 10 verses, I'm sorry, chapter 15 verses 30 through 32. Listen to what he said. Now I beseech now, you, brother. I beg you. This is in the early days of his ministry, all right? We know how it ended, but let's see how it got there. Are you with me? I know I'm over time, but are you with me still? We know how it ended, but how do we get to the end? What brought him to that kind of a very powerful conclusion? He says to the church at Rome, I beg you, my brothers, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. In the early days of his ministry, he's writing to the church of Rome and he's saying, pray for me. Paul, do you get that? Paul, the 
man carried up into the heavens, the man who saw unspeakable things, the man who, who performed miracles, the man who saw the dead raised. He's writing to churches saying, please, I'm begging you, please, please pray for me. It's not that Paul didn't have a prayer life of his own, but he understood the principle that I'm trying to get across. My own prayers are not enough for what I'm going through. Please pray for me. Please, Rome, please pray for me. 2 Corinthians 1 and 11. You also helping together. You helping together by prayer, by prayer for, us. for us. He tells the church in Corinth, this is how it's going to work. This is how you can help me. Just pray for me. Pray for me, Corinth. Pray for me, Rome. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Continue, Continue in, prayer in prayer. And watch in the same, watch in the same with thanksgiving. thanksgiving. With all, with praying, all praying also for us. Praying for us. Praying for us. Read. That God would open, unto would us open the door of utterance to speak, to speak the mystery, the mystery of, Christ of Christ for which, for which I am also am in bonds, bonds that I may that make I it manifest. Make it manifest. He said, pray for us. Pray for me, Rome. Pray for me, Corinth. Pray for me, Colossae. First Thessalonians 5.25. Brethren, Brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for me. Thessalonica. Second Thessalonians 3 and 1. Finally brethren, Finally, brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. Philemon 122. But with all, but with all prepare, prepare me also a lodging. For I trust that, that through I your trust prayers, through your prayers I, shall be, I shall be given unto you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18. Pray for, pray for us. Do you get what I'm telling you? Here was the great apostle Paul, a man that saw miracles, a man that, that converted he met groups of people, a man that planted churches, a man that turned Asia upside down. But he says, Rome, pray for me. Corinth, pray for me. Colossae, pray for me. Thessalonica, pray for me. Philemon, pray for me. Hebrews, pray for me. I need people praying. I need people praying. I can't make it on my own. I can't do it on my own. I know I am in the devil's crosshairs. I can't make it by myself. Pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Sister Becca, come. I've got to quit. Tell you many, many years ago, you've heard me make reference to, to, the, to the unbelievable pressure I was under. The church that had a record. 52 years of existence. I was the 26th pastor they had had in 52 years. They had a record. Destroying preachers, running off preachers. I'm telling you, the pressure was unbelievable. The pressure was, it was so bad. It was so bad. I had Brother John A. McFall come preach for me. And, and by the third night, he said, I'm not staying here anymore. I'm going home. He said, I can't take this. I can't handle this. I've got to get out of here. It was that bad. 
I can't even begin to describe for you what I went through. I can't begin to describe for you what my emotions went through and, 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 and days when I would get on the phone and all I could do was cry. But I stand before you today with my confidence intact. And yet, I'm going to tell you, it, it's not because I'm someone great. And it's not because I'm superhuman. And it's not because I'm super spiritual. But I can tell you, there were many men during that time, Brother Jared, that were telling me, I'm praying for you, Brother Hagin. In fact, there was one man in particular that two to three times every week, every week, he would call me just to say, I'm praying for you. I'm not here because I was strong enough to take that. I'm here because somebody prayed for me. Are you hearing me tonight, church? And look, if you're sitting there saying, yeah, that's right, preacher, I need someone praying for me, you're missing the whole You need to be looking at this like, yeah, that's right, I need to be praying for someone else. I need to be praying for my brothers. I need to be praying for my sisters. I I need to be praying for our youth group instead of constantly criticizing them and nitpicking them and finding fault with every little thing they do. How much time have you spent praying for them? Hello? The next time you want to open your mouth and say something bad about somebody, just stop and ask yourself, when's the last time I prayed for them? couldn't make it without someone else's prayers. And Paul couldn't make it without someone else's prayers. How do we think any human being here tonight is going to make it without the prayers of their brothers and sisters? going through what those men went through. We may, we may before it's over, it may very well come. But it's not yet. And at this moment, none of us, none of us have gone through anything close to what those men went through. And yet they made it. But they made it because somebody else
have to be a preacher to find yourself in the devil's crosshairs. There's got to be somebody that God sees potential in. story a number of years ago, and I'm going to close with this. I promise you, I'm closing. It's, it's way too late. I kept you way too long tonight. I heard a story many, many years ago of an incident that took place at the Special Olympics. I think you're aware of the Special Olympics, what it is. They handicap children. It's their time to be stars, really. It's their time. Though they struggle, some of them with basic skills, have trouble some of them just walking some it's a communication thing any number of issues that they have but they bring all of them together, let them run races and let them do activities and allow them to win some medals and, and for a few moments instead of being looked down on in society they become heroes for a few moments, they get to shine. And, and the story that I heard, I, I was told as if it was the truth. I assume that it is the truth. But the story that I was told was that during a race for the Special Olympics, as, as these children were running toward the finish line, one of them stumbled and fell and he was hurt and he was hurt bad and it seemed like in that moment that all of his dreams all of his hopes had come crashing down it was now impossible for him to get across the finish line but they told me that something happened that was so unusual because as the other runners began to realize what had taken place, you know, for most healthy folks, they would just say, well, that's one less that I've got to compete with. But not these children. Even those that were far ahead of him when they saw him lying on the ground they turned around and went back to where he was and they picked him up and they put their arms around him and they said we're going to go across the finish line together and every one of them gave up their aspirations for the gold medal just to help a wounded brother 
Gottes Maybe I won't get as much recognition as I would have, but it's enough for me to know that you're crossing the line. That you're going to be saved. Church, I pray for you. I, I pray for this church. I pray for you. Let me 
to see the brother or the sister that's struggling. Help me, God, to carry them into your presence. We gotta make it together. We gotta get there together. Come on, let's talk to the Lord.